Happy New Year's Eve. You sounded fantastic this morning. I hope you stopped and listened a little bit. Our worship this morning, thank you, Mark, focused on God's Word and just hearing the voice of our church family singing together is always a blessing. I walk in early, and there are often not as many people in the seats, so I just always am overjoyed to see you all and to hear you all. As we are wrapping up 2023, it's a perfect time to look back and to look forward. And I know you've heard that before. I know you've probably made many resolutions in your days and you've thought about a new year and thought about things you might like to do. We think about the things that we finished, the things we accomplished. We think about the things that we hoped to do. And we can look at a new year as a clean slate waiting to be filled. I see we have some younger people in the church with us this morning, so just in case you don't know what a slate is, it's a big flat piece of rock that we used to hang on the wall in the olden days. And we would write on it with another piece of rock called chalk. And then you could miraculously wipe that chalk off and have a clean slate with a rectangle of wool that was formed into what we called an eraser. And if you were really good, at the end of the day, the teacher would let you take the erasers and bang them together, knocking the dust out. You'd inhale lots more rock into your lungs, which was probably not good for you, but that was a highlight of school if you got to go bang out the erasers. Well, they were good times, weren't they? I would like this new year to be even better than the one we just finished. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could hear directly from God himself with direction for your life, warnings of things to avoid, promises of things that he will do for you, and encouragement to make it through the hard times? Would you like that? Our message this morning is called Living and Active. What does that make you think of? Any ideas? Yeast. Yeast is living and active. It made me fit of dry fit clothing that you wear for sports and you hope that it'll evaporate your sweat quickly. Or maybe it's a club for young at heart retired people. I'm going to live in the living and active club. Or it could be the Bible. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have an incredible book available to every one of us. We're going to stay on that opening slide for a little bit. It's the Holy Bible. It's the inspired word of God. But it's not just any book. It was not written with human wisdom. It's God's message to his creation. Some people think of it as a dusty, archaic, 2,000-year-old collection of unrelated writings from the Middle East. But it is living and active. It pierces the human soul and spirit. It makes us understand the hidden thoughts and intentions of our own hearts. 
And when we read it, we can better understand and comprehend just who God is. It's also a mirror reflecting our own hearts compared to God's righteousness. If you want to know who you are, you need to look into Scripture and you will see who you are in God's eyes. Before you click me off thinking, yes, I know it's important to read the Bible, I've been told to set aside time every day to read it, and I've been told that it's going to change my life, but maybe, like me, your pastor, you maybe struggle to actually read it regularly. Maybe you've read it so many times you think you've heard it all before. Or maybe you've read it so little it just seems impossible. It's just too big. It has too many foreign words. It's too hard to understand. Or maybe you just get bored too quickly and you don't know how to get, you don't understand how everyone else seems to get more out of it and everybody else seems to be ahead of you. This morning as we approach a new year, 2024, I'd like to re-challenge you and challenge myself, everyone in our church, those of you joining us online too, to make a goal of reading God's word regularly. You're going to hear me say you should read it every day, and I think we should, but it's better to read it often than not at all, and that's one of the problems I remember having starting Bible reading plans so many times, and then all of a sudden I'm a day behind, I'm a week behind, I'm a month behind, and you just throw up your hands and say, well, I'll try again next year. I would encourage you to just say, I'm going to read more. I'm going to read more than I did before. And I'd like to share some things with you to do even before you open your Bible. Some applications of things to do as you approach God's Word. I read a really helpful book called Before You Open Your Bible. And the author is Matt Smethurst. He's the pastor of River City Baptist Church down in Richmond, Virginia, close to where Yvonne has moved. He's also an editor for the Gospel Coalition. You're welcome to read this book on your own, but I'm going to summarize it for you, and so if you want to go back and read, read it, you're welcome to do that. I hope it's going to encourage you in your Bible reading for this new year. There's a copy of it out at the Welcome Center and a number of other books that are there as samples for you to look at and think, do I want to order this? Those are from my library. If you want to borrow one of them, there's only one of each, so... Um, Feel free to let me know if you want to borrow that one or if you just want to take a picture of it and look for it later. If you've been involved in sports of any kind, you know that the approach or your attitude is almost as important as the physical abilities. You train and you train and you learn what you're supposed to do and when you're supposed to do it, but your approach is very important. It made me think of the honeymooners. You all know that? Skit, I was going to show it, but we don't have enough time this morning, but uh, Ralph is trying to learn how to play golf, and he's dressed up in ridiculous plaid and a pom-pom hat, and uh, Norton comes down and is reading the How to Play Golf book to him, and he says, first, you have to address the ball, and they're talking amongst themselves, you know, what does that mean? And of course, Norton picks up the ball and says, hello, ball. That's his address for the ball. That's not what we're talking about. It's your approach. It's your stance. And if you've ever tried to swing a golf club, 
there's 37 things you're supposed to remember all at the same time, and it just messes me up. How you approach the Bible is going to have a dramatic impact on your reading of it, and therefore on your life and your heart. If you call yourself a Christian, that means you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And since he's not here with us in a physical presence, the Bible is our connection to him. It's the way that we can know him, understand him, and better love and follow him. So why read the Bible on your own? Pastor Mark's just going to explain it on Sunday. I'm okay in between. Why should I bother? Let me just review a couple of scripture readings uh, verses with you quickly to remind you of why you need to read the Bible and the benefits of it. First of all, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Psalm 119.9. Jake read this for us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Jesus said in Matthew 7.24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will, like, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to abide, live, make your dwelling place, be comfortable in his word, and then you will know him, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then later on in John 15, 7, if you abide in me, my words in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So we have nine things. We'll see how far we get this morning. If you're getting worried and you're looking at your watch and worried about teaching your Sunday school class, we may split this in half. We'll see how it goes. But we're going to start out with number one. I numbered them this week because last week I couldn't count to three and keep track of what point I was on. If you were there, you should be embarrassed for me. My wife was a math teacher, so it's just sad on so many levels. All right, first of all, we need to approach our Bible prayerfully. Don't rush into Scripture. Don't rush into the Bible with your own agenda, your own thoughts, your own plans. Psalm 119.36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I want my heart to be leaning on you, God, leaning on your words and not chasing after my own selfish gain. You need to ask God to move and direct your heart as you read his word. Not to just check off the box and said, yes, I read the Bible today. While that feels good, that's not the goal. The goal is let it get into my heart. I need God's thoughts and God's words in my heart, dwelling with me as I dwell with him. Psalm 90. 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all 
our days. That's a good verse to say, when should I read my Bible? Should I read it at night before I go to sleep so that I have good thoughts in my dreams? That's a good time. But this verse says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. If you start your day with God's word and being reminded of his love, you'll rejoice and be glad through your days. I need to pray that I won't be distracted. If I try and read on my Bible app on my phone, I almost always hit another app before I get to the Bible. Even when I'm looking up a verse in the middle of my devotions, my fingers just still, what's happening on Facebook? Does anybody said anything in the last 30 seconds? It drives me crazy, but I do it. That's one of the benefits of the old paper and binding style of Bible is there's no other apps going on in here. Uh, it's a little less distracting. Not only should we pray that we're not distracted, but we need to pray that I will not be dissatisfied. God's word will satisfy the needs in my life. I need to see the rest of my life and the things that are going on as secondary. I need to be satisfied in God's love as he explains it to me through his word. We should be praying for the following eight things as well. They're not all things that come naturally to us. So we need to ask God fervently to give us these desires for his word. Start off with earnest prayer. God, help me to hear your words, to let them sink into my heart, and then to put them into action, to be a doer and not a hearer only. Start off with prayer. Number two, approach your Bible humbly. Approach your Bible humbly. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that God was in the habit of walking in the garden. This is before the fall. He walked in the garden and he talked to Adam and Eve. I don't know if he had physical feet as he walked through the garden. Adam says he heard him in the garden. So this may have been God in Jesus' physical form, something like that. We don't know. But God was there in the cool of the day. Before sin separated us from God, the Creator walked and talked with Adam and Eve, the people that he had created. He enjoyed it, and they enjoyed his fellowship. And then it says, they heard God moving through the garden, and they hid themselves because they were afraid. Even though they had disobeyed God, God was still there in the garden walking and looking forward to spending time with them. Even though they had sinned, even though they had disobeyed them, even though they had said, let's listen to Satan instead of God, he was still there ready to fellowship with them, ready to reach out to them. Even though they turned their backs on him and looked for satisfaction in something much cheaper. He sought them out. God could have ignored them. He could have just put his finger on earth and squished it, and it would have been all over. Redo, start over again. He could have left them to die. But instead, he confronted their sin. He told them what would happen as a result. And our Bible contains the words of that same Creator God, reaching out to broken, sinful people. He's confronting us with our sin. 
He's letting us know that our sin separates us from him. And that even through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, only, not even, but only through that can we be forgiven. Can we be made right with God? And we can have eternal life. That same God who walked in the garden is reaching out to you and reaching out to me and telling us that he still wants us to be part of his family. He wants us to be restored to fellowship with him. So before you read your Bible, humbly recognize that it's clear evidence that God loves you and that he wants a relationship with you. That you are the created and he is the creator. You're hearing from the king. You're hearing from the master of the universe. Wouldn't you want to know what he has to say? We used to tune into our TVs when there was a presidential address, the State of the Union. We're all excited. What's he going to say? What's happening next? And in our Bible, we're hearing from someone much greater. God, our Heavenly Father, who not only made us, but directs our lives and has a plan for your life, a way that you can live to glorify him, a way that you can spread his glory and his gospel throughout the world. He's reaching out to us through his words, those ancient words. Some people have called it God's love letter to mankind. Throughout its pages, we see God loving people over and over again and offering them not only a chance, but a second chance, a chance to be redeemed, to be made right with him. So we need to approach our Bibles prayerfully. We need to approach our Bibles humbly. We need to approach our Bibles desperately. Do you like to snack between meals? Anybody? Enjoy it. Raise your hand happily, proudly. Yes. A few pretzels here, a few cheese puffs here, an entire bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. Because once your hands are all sticky and covered, you might as well finish it, right? Why put that back and start all over again? Pretty soon you realized, as you get to dinner time, you don't want the amazing food on the table. There's just not enough room. You remember mom saying that, make sure you save room for your dinner? Don't spoil your dinner. Like you'd get to the table and all the food would just be spoiled. It would be rotten because you ate snacks in between. You'd probably seldom choose junk food over a juicy sizzling steak or an incredible homemade lasagna. Or if you're one of those other people, lots of fresh vegetables. They're good as a side, but not the main dish for me. Our poor choices for what's on hand and what's tasty, we often miss out on what's really satisfying and sometimes what's really better for you. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 when he was tempted by Satan to take a shortcut and to turn stones into bread. And Jesus said, as it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my life. 
For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. If you are called a Christian, you're called by the name of the Son of God. Do you delight in his words? Do you want to eat them and be satisfied with them? God wants us to desperately desire his word. He doesn't want us to snack on the world's wisdom and then be too full of thoughts and ideas that push out what's really good, his word. Here are three diagnostic questions that you can ask as to see if you're really considering God's word to be a feast, something that you're desiring. Do I approach the Bible like a snack or a feast? Am I just looking for one verse to prove my point or to get my way? Yeah, there's got to be a verse in there somewhere that tells me I should have this thing or find that person or do this or do that. Are you just looking for those little juicy morsels that kind of justify what you want to do anyway? Or are you going to it like a feast, starting with appetizers and then enjoying a salad and then enjoying a soup and then enjoying the main course and several other desserts afterwards? Is it a feast? Am I just willing to hear from God or am I desperate for his word? Yeah, I need to read the Bible. I know everybody tells me, so I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to like it. Or am I desperate for his word? God, I need to hear from you today. I can't do this on my own. That's coming back to the humility part. Who knows better how to live this day? The one who knows how it ends or me? still lying in bed, not wanting to leave the bed. Let me talk to God. Let me hear from him. And he's going to tell me how this day should go. Should go. What's it going to look like to glorify him in this day? Be desperate for his word. And then finally, am I simply interested in reading the Bible? Or am I striving to internalize the word? Do I want to just read it to say, oh yeah, I've read the Bible. I've read this and I've read that. It's part of my library. Or am I saying, this is who I want to be. I want to be a woman or a man of God's word. I want it to seep out of my pores. I want people to know that that's my authority for my life. That if I have a question, I'm going to start there, talking to God and hearing from him. Moses challenged the people of Israel to think differently about God's word in Deuteronomy 32, 47. He said, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. Deuteronomy 32, 47. This is no empty word for you. It's your very life. Do you want your very life to be living and active in 2024? Then make God's word central to your life. Make it the focus. Are you desiring God's word desperately? You need it. And then number four, approach your Bible studiously. Do you think of yourself as a theologian? Raise your hand if you're willing to say, I'm a theologian. A couple people? Everyone has thoughts and opinions about God, even those who say he doesn't exist. So if you want to know who God really is, 
You have to become a student of God. You study what he says about himself, what he says about the universe he created, and what he says about the people he created. When you hear the word study, how does that make you feel? Good or scared? Depending on your opinions of school, that word study can stir up a wide range of emotions and thoughts. Some of you may have cold sweats just thinking about having to study for a big test that you put off too long, and now you're trying to cram three months' worth of information into your head in a single night. Maybe that's your idea of studying. Studying should be avoided at all costs. I just need to pass this class. I don't care what the teacher says. I don't care if I learn anything. I just need to pass. Does studying sound like something horrible to you? Still, maybe? Those of you that are still in school, maybe? If you ever had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, without even thinking about it, you probably spent lots of time learning as much as you could about him or her. You didn't have a textbook to read, but maybe even before you asked her out, you talked to friends. What's she like? What, are, what kind of people does she like? You learned about this person. And then once you had a relationship, you wanted to spend as much time as you could. And if you remember those times of talking into the late hours of the night, before we talked on our phones, we talked face to face. And your parents would say, what in the world could you still have to talk about? And you'd still want to talk more. You didn't want the date to end. You didn't want your time together to end because you enjoyed being together. You wanted to know about their favorite movies, their favorite books, their favorite bands, their favorite foods. You wanted to know if they played outdoor sports or preferred shopping. Are you a mountain person or a beach person? Do you like Coke Or Pepsi. This is water, but it's in my beautiful Latshaw Coke glass. You don't have to ask me that question. You already know the answer. You wanted to know everything there was to know about this person because you cared about them. I remember when Cindy and I were dating, and she's not in the room. She's in nursery somewhere today. So if this story is wrong, you can ask her later. But my recollection, because she tells me I mess up my stories all the time, it's true, but I'm sorry. So we're with my family who loves to play games, and my siblings all got married 10 years exactly ahead of Cindy and I. All three of them got married within the same calendar year. They're 7, 10, and 11 years older than me, so it made sense. It's not like I waited really long or they waited too long, but they're 10 years ahead of us, and we're still dating and they are probably five years into their marriages, and we played some form of the newlywed game. And guess who won? Cindy and I, because we were still spending as much time talking with each other. We didn't have jobs, and we didn't have kids, and we didn't have other things going on. We were just focused on each other, and we could answer just about any question there was. We still kind of cheat at games just with our eyes. We can look at each other, and we kind of know, yeah, that's the answer. And I love knowing her, and I love how much she knows about me. 
most of the time. If you're a sports fan, you can probably reel off an impressive list of stats, a history of players, of coaches, details of games from a decade ago. You're still talking about that one we lost because of the field goal that was missed. You can just pull that right out of your head because you love your team. It's really important to you. And if you care a lot, you are going to learn as much as you can. And you're going to spend as much time doing that. And you're going to enjoy it. So wouldn't you want to say the same thing about your God, your Heavenly Father, that you want to know Him and deeply care about Him as much as you can? One of the Pharisees, who was a student of God's law, came to Jesus with a question in Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Most of us can quote this verse, and we love the heart and soul part. But Jesus said we should love God with our mind as well. When you read the Bible, are you engaging your mind? Are you engaging your thoughts? Are you asking questions? What does this mean? Why does it say that? Are you thinking about the words? Hopefully, as I'm preaching, I'm teaching you how to do that. Look for words that are repeated. Look for things that are listed in a certain way. God's word is amazing in the way that it was written. It was written giving us clues as to what's important. Things that stand out to us were meant to stand out. The people of Berea, we call them the Bereans, were commended by Paul for wanting to dig deeper into God's word. Listen to Acts 17.11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Feel bad for the people in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. As they received the word of the apostles, this verse is confirming that it is the Bible, it's God's word, but they were comparing it to what they read in the Old Testament. And they knew that it had to align. It had to make sense together. And that's one of the important things we do as we approach God's word. If we read something and say, oh, that's a new idea, we need to read and confirm in, within the rest of the Bible that it can't contradict itself because God is always true. And God never changes, just like his word. So if we're reading something and we think we have a brand new idea that no one else has ever heard, we're probably wrong. We need to study the scriptures, compare it to itself, and see what it says to be noble, to be students of God's word like the Bereans. So you already have opinions about God. You have opinions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So that makes you a theologian. But the question is, are you a good theologian? Theology means the study. Remember, ology is study, like biology, study of life. Theology is the study of theo, God. So are you a good theologian? 
Are your thoughts and opinions about God and what it means to be a Christian, are they biblically founded or are they just things that you heard and things that sound good to you, that make sense to you? How many times have you heard people say, well, my God would never do that or my God would always act this way. This is what my God is like. Those people are creating their own idol. They're creating their own God if it's not the real God, the God of God's of his own word. So before you read the Bible, ask God to teach you and then be prepared to study it deeper, to spend some time with it. It's good to read things for an overview, but then go back and dig in and make a feast of it. Number five, we should approach our Bibles obediently. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Did you notice the six commands in that verse? If you're not there yet, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and let's look at verses 12 to 13. I want you to see these in here, because this is an example of studying God's word. Deuteronomy comes at the end of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of Moses, the fifth book of the law. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13. Should have turned you, told you to turn there ahead of time, but we're there now. So Moses has just gotten two new tablets of stone that God wrote the commandments on. And he's talking about God in verses 12 to 13. What does the Lord require of you? That should be your life's question. What does God want from me? If he created me, if this world is his, what does he want? What's he looking for? What are the commands? Most of them have a two in front of them. Somebody shout out one of them. To fear. To fear the Lord. To Walk, to love, to serve. And then in verse 13, keep the commandments and statutes. Fear, walk, love, serve, and obey. Keeping the commandments, observing them. Fear and love have to do with our thoughts and our emotions. Fear God. Believe that he is the creator of the universe and be in awe of him and love him. Desire to please him with your life. And then walk, serve, keep, and obey are all about our actions. God wants your heart, but he also wants your obedience. Why? The end of verse 13. This is for your good. 
This is for your own good. God created us to follow his directions, to stay within the boundaries he set for us. The Ten Commandments were not rules to make us disappointed and frustrated in life. They were rails to set our life in the right direction. They were guardrails to keep us from falling off cliffs. They were protection for us, and they still are. And this isn't just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept too. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know his word inside and out. But are you doing it? Are you obeying it? If you're not, then you're not following. You're just learning about him. You're, a, you're an information specialist about Jesus. You can describe his life and the times of Jesus, but if you're not doing it, you're not following him. 1 John 2, 4-5. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. We are in Christ when we are obeying him. When Jesus left the disciples with his final directions in Matthew 28, he was very clear that obedience mattered. You know these verses. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not only was it a promise that he was going to be with them always, but it was clear-cut instructions. I want you to go into the world, disciple the nations, baptize them, and teach them my words. But teach them to obey my words, not just the knowledge and the information. Let them be followers. Let them truly be disciples. Teach them to observe and obey all that I have commanded Jesus' teachings were not suggestions or ideas for a nice life. They were clear commandments. So when we approach our Bible and we prepare to read it, we need to approach it obediently because obedience produces joy. And that's our next approach. Approach your Bible joyfully. We talked a lot about joy during the Advent season. God's desire is for us to find and have abundant or overflowing joy. Luke said that the gospel is good news, which will bring great joy to all the people. John 16, 24 says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive it, that your joy may be full. The goal of our prayer should be joy. 2 John 12, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The outcome of fellowship with other believers should be joy. 
I want to come to you that our joy may be complete. When we discover God's word, the result is joy. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. Psalm 1, 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I find delight, I find joy in God's word. Jesus said, my words will bring you joy, and that will make you full. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full, overflowing. As we talked about through Advent, happiness comes and goes with our circumstances. We got the wrong size gift, we got two of the same thing, and we're not so happy anymore. But joy lasts through all of our ups and downs. When we come back to the truth of God's word, we'll be filled, we will not only find joy, but we will be filled with it. On our website, just to give you a heads up, we have a number of resources linked to this sermon. We're going to continue this sermon next week, and I hope you will come back next year. Put that on your calendar for 2024. It's like so far in advance. I don't even know if the calendar, you have to hang a new calendar just to put this on there, but make sure you come back. If you have struggling, if you have struggled with God's word and reading it on your own, I'd encourage you to start with these first six approaches this week. Start by praying. Start by humbling your heart. Start by looking for it earnestly, desiring his word, to approach it humbly, to approach it joyfully. And out at the Welcome Center, I'll leave these books out there. I mentioned them before. There are some books out there about how to read your Bible. The book that has these nine approaches is out there, and also a couple other um, resources. But because the new year starts before we get together, Next week is the 7th already. If you want to start the new year and start January 1st, on the website for the sermon, I have some links with Bible reading plans from several different organizations, several different approaches to it. Um, And you can click on some of those links. I would encourage you to think about reading one of those with someone so that you have someone to hold you accountable, to say, hey, how'd it go this week? And what did you get from the reading? And you know you'll be reading the same things, and you can just have a short conversation about it once a week, just to help hold yourselves accountable. So we'll cover the rest of these takeaways, and we'll, we'll wrap up the rest of them next week. But my desire is that you would read God's Word, that you would make it a part of 2024, that you would seek for it to be living and active in your life so that you are living and active the right way, that you're following God, that you're hearing from him directly. I want you to keep coming to church and keep spending time in fellowship, but take some time in this new year to read God's word on your own as well or make a plan to read with somebody. Mark's going to come up. We're going to sing a final song about God's word.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could come together to sing praises to your name, that we could lift up the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that you've given us your word so that we could know you, that we could know why you created us, that we could know how we can be right with you. And that's only through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to earth and lived a perfect life. Thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. Thank you that he rose again, offering us eternal life. I pray, Lord, that anyone that doesn't know him as Savior, that today would be the day. Lord, may your hope fill us with joy and peace in believing in your Son, Jesus Christ, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would abound in hope. We thank you and praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.